You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruvein Yoshua Pupko of Coates St. Luke's premier synagogue, Beth Israel, Beth Aaron. Rabbi Pupko, news is coming out today from many, many sources that a counterproposal Hamas has put on the table, and it seems like, from what I'm reading, that there might be a an acceptance by the Israelis. They're talking about a three-stage procedure. The first 45 days will have the release of hostages under 19 and women and the infirm. And the second stage will bring out uh, the older hostages, I guess, in terms of post-19 and men. The Israelis are not going to accept this deal. The whole thing is upside down. Okay, I mean, I hate to say it, and, and Again, it's you can't blame the families of the hostages, but what you can do is blame uh, the American government and the Israeli government. We're in this bizarre situation where Qatar is somehow allowed to posture itself as a neutral mediator, when in fact, uh, in so many different arenas, Qatar has made it clear that they are an enemy of, of Israel, they are an enemy of the West, and that they are aligned with Hamas. Not only do they fund them, right? That all the money's cut, you know, all the money that's been pouring into Gaza for years now, facilitated by Israel. I mean, let's be blunt: the millions and millions of dollars that they that they pour into Gaza. We know now, with absolute clarity, where that all that money's been going. It hasn't been going to feed or heal. Palestinians or educate Palestinians, it was being used to build a 450-mile-long military fortress underground. It was being used to bring in weapons to an extraordinary extent. Qatar is the home of Al Jazeera, which in English is one thing, and in Arabic, a completely different entity. Uh, Al Jazeera and Arabic has been repeating the lies of Hamas that the brutality of October 7th never even happened. And yet, because of Qatar's influence over Hamas, the Americans and the Israelis have adopted the same basic posture, which is, God forbid, you can't criticize Qatar. They're very sensitive about their reputation. They want to be everything to everybody. And if you call them out in any way at all, as BB did in a private conversation that was inappropriately leaked to the media, where he offered some gentle criticism of Qatar, and then they had to apologize and everything else, the, the people involved... The people guiding the hostage families, which is the Richardson Center in California, has been widely reported, is is saying one thing and one thing only. The only address for pressure is the Israeli government. The way I read the details this morning, it's it's a hundred thirty five day truce that they think will lead to a, to the war's end. Uh, Israel is not going to end this until Hamas is in, and I don't believe that they're going to accept this deal. A four and a half month truce 
I mean, you know, it would be very difficult to imagine Israel being able to restart. Not only are they demanding a four and a half month truce, but they're demanding that in the interim, Israeli soldiers be removed completely from Gaza. That's not going to happen. And we're going back to a sort of Gilad Shalit type of proportionate prisoner release, right? I mean, you have to have the moral moral imagination of a nine-year-old to only think about the people in front of you and the names you know and the families you know and not think about all of the families who you have yet to meet who will be killed after a prisoner release. 30% of the people released in the Gilad Shalit deal return to terrorism, right? This will cost Israeli lives. Yeah, we don't know their names. But again, it doesn't take, you know, uh, you know the most sophisticated moral imagination to worry about that. Okay, and if all you worry about are the people in front of you and not the people in the future, you're making a terrible mistake. And you're incentivizing hostage-taking. You are rewarding hostage-taking. Where is the Israeli vehement rejection and moral indignation about any of these terms being offered by murderers and uh, kidnappers? It's become politically untenable for Bibi to take a stronger position because of the widespread support in Israel for a a deal to get the hostages out. They have broad sympathy, as they certainly well deserve. But, I mean, the supporters of a generous deal to get them out are, are engaging in the cheapest form of demagoguery. I mean, you have former generals saying things like, and if you can explain the logic of this, please do so. Here's what they're saying that the contract that the citizens of Israel have with their government was broken on October the 7th. They didn't protect their citizens. Okay, let's stop there. All right, that's true, right? I mean, those are, you know, it's extreme vocabulary, but there's no question there were intelligence and military and political failures leading to October the 7th. And because of that, and here comes the demagoguery, Israel's obligated to make every possible sacrifice to get the hostages out. That's a complete non sequitur, logically, morally, ethically, politically, strategically. It's a complete non sequitur. By the way, I just want to, again, uh, insert a little bit of rabbinic sprinkling here that there have been poskim, again, from mostly, again, from the Mafdal camp that have said exactly this, that even though in normal circumstances, risks to save people, perhaps during a time of war, would be verboten, here we owe it to them because of the failures. What does that even mean? You know, Israel owes the government of is the government of the state of Israel, the military of the state of Israel owes it to all citizens in Israel to to increase security to make sure October seventh isn't repeated or terrorism isn't repeated. So, right, right in the New York Times was trying to summarize Machiavelli, one part of his theory on war. He said, "Picture two cars playing chicken on a highway. They're speeding at each other at high speed. Two cars." And I'm sure one, one who, it sounds like one is a Ferrari if you're talking about right, Nico right. Machiavelli. <laughs> the other is a Ford, right? The other is a Ford. Okay, I'll, I'll satisfy your adolescent need to have models in your head. One is a souped-up Ford Mustang and one is a Trans Am, okay? Headed at each other with a big eagle on the hood of the Trans Am, right? Like in Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, a great Clint Eastwood movie. Okay, you have two cars headed at each other at full speed. How do you win that? 
What's the guaranteed way to win that? The guaranteed way to win that is to take your steering wheel and throw it out the window, right? That's the one guarantee to win. So what I would say, what, what I would say, and I said this on October 7th, I'm not saying it today. I said it on October the 7th. What Israel has to do right now is declare every hostage dead and go into Gaza without any regard. Now, I know what would have happened. Hamas would have released videos and everything else and everything else. And Israel has to say, no, they are dead. They're in your hands. We know you're going to kill them. They are dead. The rabbinate of Israel should have told every family to sit shiver. They should have thrown their steering wheel out the window, right? And then pound Hamas the way they have. And I promise you that would have brought more hostages back alive. The only way to make sure that this isn't repeated and that dozens, if not hundreds of Israelis don't suffer in the future is to destroy Hamas today and, and to prioritize absolutely winning the war over any other consideration. But look, I see, you know, you know, you are not sitting in Netanyahu's inner circle and perhaps Netanyahu is, is saying the things externally just in order to stave off pressure. But is he really, is, is he in line with you? I don't know. And it doesn't seem like we're hearing that. Well, it's far down the other path. They chose another path. It's too far down. It's over. Look, I, I actually agree with you on this. And I said this to people as well, although, you know, I'm not going to chest thump about it like you are, but I do believe the same thing. But I only, only thump my own chest. I don't thump anybody else's. One of the things that, that, you know, it, it's such a weird confluence of things. The American aid package to Israel in order to continue fighting the war is now being held up because the Republicans believe there isn't enough muscle being given to protect the border. Uh, the impeachment of Alexander Mayorkas, one of our, uh, you know, our brethren, uh, a Jewish fellow who is the head of Homeland Security failed. The impeachment failed, but there still is this standoff going on, not only in Texas between the Texas and a very, and, and the U.S. Border Patrol, but in Congress itself. Congress was turned, it was turned into a circus. What we're seeing today is both political parties really going off the rails. And I'll start alphabetically uh, with the Democrats. Okay. So Biden gets elected, he gets nominated, uh, right, four years ago or so, for one reason, one reason only, that he wasn't a crazy leftist. He wasn't Warren, and he wasn't Sanders, and the Democrats wanted somebody more moderate. And the problem is, as soon as he got into office, he seemed to be inordinately concerned with the left wing of his party, to the extent that he reversed some of the Trump-era policies on the border and has allowed an unprecedented wave of um, of illegal immigrants coming into uh, into the U.S. And this is an issue which, which is hurting the Democrats enormously, enormously. I mean, when you have Democratic mayors in places like Chicago, New York, complaining about Washington, you know, uh, you know, you, you, you know, the Democrats are off the rails. So that's one issue. The other, the other issue is the Republicans got a lot of what they wanted in the immigration deal, the bill that they themselves then voted down. They got a lot out of it. Their own people negotiated this deal. They, they got a lot. But Trump got on the phone and basically ordered uh, the, the Republicans in the House uh, to vote against their own deal. 
Now, we can argue about the deal. I mean, the Wall Street Journal is in favor of it because it, it does take some steps to stop the illegal immigration. Places like the National Review are more skeptical. They believe that many of the uh, of the measures taken to limit illegal immigration under this bill are easily undermined by, by how the policies are implemented from Washington. So, I mean, reasonable people can debate it. But this was a Republican negotiated deal, and they blew up their own deal for one reason and one reason only. Trump wants this to continue to be an issue. And if it's solved to any extent, it limits Trump's ability to capitalize on the crisis at the border. What, however, was the at least official reason and what 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 sanctions or measures aren't considered strong enough that they are holding it up? Are they explaining themselves? Yeah, they're they're, they're claiming they're what what the Republicans are claiming now. They're saying there's too it leaves too much discretion up to uh, up to Biden. But again, it does start it, it does reimplement some of the Trump stuff about holding the elite, making them apply for asylum from Mexico. By the way, uh, ten F, former FBI guys issued a letter last month that everyone ignored. You know because I, I you know I, I don't know if people realize this, but when you uh, you know, post something, and when something's public, it's really public, and it goes everywhere in the world. And bad people in Afghanistan, Iran, or wherever uh, can read the news, and they fly into Venezuela and they cross the border. I mean, this is—I'm This is not some right wing. This is not Tucker Carlson talking. This is ten former FBI, high-ranking FBI guys who issued a letter warning about the number of bad guys. And look at the numbers. Look at the number of people who are on the terror suspect list who have been stopped at the border, and that's only the people who have been stopped. I mean, this is a serious issue. The Democrats have taken a, in a fanatical position on immigration. They, you know, the progressives believe that borders are racist. They believe if you keep anybody out, it means you're a racist. I happen to think the Americans are overly restrictive. And, and granting visas, especially H-1B visas and other temporary work, work visas, they should be more generous, but it should be legal and they should be vetted. It should be orderly, right? It's very simple. But they, but the Democrats believe that any restriction, right, it somehow makes you a racist. It doesn't. It makes you a normal person. If you want to guarantee an American backlash against immigrants, you do exactly what the Democrats are doing. If you want America to warmly accept and integrate and assimilate immigrants, you have a very generous immigration policy. You lift the numbers, you, you, you remove the quotas, but you do it in an orderly, an orderly way with, with legal immigration. You know, some, some have speculated that the polling numbers, which came out a couple of days ago, which sort of, indicated incredibly that Biden is going to lose to Trump were pushed by this frustration about this immigration problem. And Trump reads those numbers and he wants the the crisis at the border to be the number one issue in the campaign and had the bill that Republicans negotiated have been passed Right. Uh, he felt it would have been possibly removed immigration from the uh, from, uh, you know, as a campaign issue. And Trump would rather live. There are people who voted against this deal would rather live with another year of crisis at the border. Right. Rather than resolve it in order to make sure it's still an issue for the campaign. Yeah. I heard that one of the the senators that was pushing 
you know, for the stalling on this deal, in other words, holding it up, was Marco Rubio. And Marco Rubio, you know, is obviously a person who himself, his family benefited from, you know, be, being able to escape from Cuba. People are scared to death of Trump. That's the bottom line. So I, you know, I, I wonder, you know, as concerned members of the Jewish people, the various rabbinic organizations, are they pushing, you know, in some way to get this legislation passed in order to get money to, to Eretz Yisrael to be able to continue their assault? As you, that, you had the Ukraine aid and the aid to Israel getting wrapped up in this issue. It's just, it's, it's, it's turned into, uh, Congress has turned into a clown fest. I mean, uh, honestly, they, they, they can't get anything passed. They can't, um, they, they can't work out a, a resolution to any of the important issues on the, on the agenda. It's paralyzed by stupidity. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a tragedy. So th- our conversation so far, Rabbi, has been somewhat morose and, and depressing. And I think it sort of harkens to, uh, Puxatani Phil, a couple of days ago, you know, Phil uh, did come out on February 2nd. And according to his uh, handlers in the inner circle, those that speak uh, groundhoggies, they said that Phil did not see his shadow, which is good news. He's, they say that there's going to be uh, an early spring. By the way, uh, just <laughs> you understand why February 2nd is the day uh, that Puxatani Phil comes out. It seems like he's like Methuselah, like Mr. Shellach. He never, he's, he's been alive for so long. February 2nd is, uh, from the Yemei Shivas Yomim. So in other words, if you take Jesus's birth, it's true. That's what <laughs> it is. Know. It's seven days, Jesus's birth based on the Psukim and Parsha Sazaria. Uh, you have Shivas Yomim and then Shloshes Yomim, Shloshes Yomim. Um, the Virgin Mary, you know, had to stay, uh, you know, on Demet Toyar. And our Boyim Yom afterwards, based on the Psukim, that is when, uh, in the ancient Christian tradition, uh, Jesus was brought to the Beis Hamikdash, although you don't have to bring your child there, but that's when Mary herself came to the Beis Hamikdash and brought the Korbanais. That is Kandelmas, which is a, uh, a very revered Christian holiday. The idea that this is a, a, a day that indicates the spring perhaps coming has to do with Jesus coming to the, the Beis Hamikdash, or at least Jesus's mother coming to the Beis Hamikdash and bringing the carbon. But anyway, it, it's, it, you know, it really is one of these minhagim that, you know, 20,000 people, including our Josh Shapiro, the, the Jewish governor of Pennsylvania, he shows right. up there. He makes a, a special uh, appearance along with everyone staying up all night with the mishmar to wait for the, uh, to wait for the prediction. So it sounds like, you know, here we are coming into Rishchidosh Adar Aleph that there might be some positivity, at least as far as Puxatani goes. Look, Tracy Chapman came out of her tunnel at the Grammys yes. to be That's able to, um, to strum along the, her classic, I've got a fast car. And Luke Combs, you know, who grew up uh, as a kid listening to this in his father's pickup truck and then turned it into a, uh, a, a country a, ballad. 
yes, a country ballad. And they sang it together and he was mishtach of it to her uh, afterwards because he said how inspired he was. So, you know, I, I guess there's, there might be hope. You know, if Luke Combs and Tracy Chapman can can work together, perhaps, you know, the, the Democrats and the Republicans, I don't, you know, the Republicans who are, I guess, emb- emblemized by Luke Combs, the Democrats by Tracy Chapman, uh, perhaps even, you know, Hamas and... Uh, <laughs> it is a, it's a harbinger of the Messianic age, there's no question. Yes, yes, yes. And, and put this way, the, the award season is always Gehenim. For anybody who has to submit themselves to watch that garbage, what might not be garbage, of course, is the perhaps another uh, combination. You know, uh, and you know, I read an article uh, this week about the nobility that is shown in sports, and we all expect probably whoever wins this Sunday's Super Bowl uh, for the teams afterwards to actually uh, congratulate each other and to give each other, even though they're going to fight like hell. On the gridiron, uh, they're going to perhaps embrace each other afterwards. Okay. I, I'm rooting for, for Kansas City just because the 49ers have, have eliminated my Green Bay Packers so often. How about you? I, I don't have a horse in this race or, you know, I, I don't really care that much who wins. I'd like to see a good game. It's, it's hard to bet against Mahomes. You know, Mahomes definitely is Jordan. There's no question about it. Question is. Guys like will Nick Bosa pressure him? I mean, sufficiently. Will you know? Will uh, will, will will the Forty ers get to him? It's a tough. It's listen. The four in you know Brock Purdy sometimes looks like a superstar, sometimes doesn't. Uh, as a team, probably the Forty ers are better. But uh, in terms of uh, you know Mahomes and uh, and Travis Kelsey, you know, I mean, they, you know, you can't under you can't underestimate the Chiefs. I think the uh, 49ers are favored by uh, at least three, perhaps more. So much people are, are also focusing on whether um, Taylor Swift is going to be able to make it to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Well, listen, I'm a fan of the only team in the NFL that doesn't have cheerleaders, the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's not true. The Packers don't have cheerleaders either. Oh, really? The Packers don't either? Okay, so my my mistake. So, But the point is, teams like the Packers or the Steelers understand what football's about. It's not about girls singing or women dancing. This is about men at war. That's what this is about. You, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that, but of course with the, the pomp and circumstances surrounding it, the commercials that, that are going to be uh, beamed at us, they're about a woke culture. They're about a, a DEI culture. There's, there's two national anthems that will be sung. There's the black national yeah, anthem. The NFL hurt itself, you know, by getting involved in this stuff. Here's the mistake of the NFL. The NFL decided that their players were role models. In their own way, a light unto the nations. And therefore, whenever they get arrested for doing what young people with too much money tend to do, they have to apologize, you know, they have to suspend players and all this stuff. The NFL should have said from the very beginning, we are a league of thugs. We will always be this way. It's a violent sport. Our players are not role models. They're role models for their players. And that's it. Right? But they insisted on being role models. And now they get into trouble whenever there's a scandal. Israel did made the same mistake. They decided they were moral and ethical and allied into the nations. In 1948, should have said, Israel should have said one thing. You know the light into the nations? That was yesterday. Today, we're the darkness. You want to talk human rights, knock on somebody else's door. We're here to survive. 
right? But they set themselves up for these moral paragons. And of course, they end up getting criticized more than anybody else, 99.9% of the time, completely without unfounded charges, right? Israel should have said, we don't care. And the NFL should have said the same thing. The NFL and Israel have the same problem. Yeah, you're ignoring, of course, the influx of, of monies that come from advertisers to the NFL and, of course, American and North American tourists and others and people who wield great power because of that money. And therefore, you can't really be the bad guys. People watch football because they don't want to watch the news at that moment. Those three hours, I don't want to be bothered by race, war, poverty, gay rights. I don't want to hear anything about it. I want to watch football. I think the venue where the game is being held really speaks a lot to one of your points, and I'll make the second point. The team that that is that that represents Las Vegas now is the team that didn't give a damn about anybody and was the dirtiest, toughest team. That's right. The Raiders, even though, again, the Packers, the Steelers had their Ray Nitschke's, they had their Jack Lambert's, they had their tough guys. Nobody was as tough and kick in your face as the Raiders were. Matuzak, Tatum, I'm saying you name it. Miller Raider games in the 70s, those were great games. <laughs> the, the Raiders, there's a reason why they have that eye patch there. And here they are in Las Vegas, which is Sin City, the city that's all about gambling, the city that's all about every single aspect you can bet on uh, has been, you know, elevated in Vegas. Don't you think it's, you know, it's, it's incredible, right? You know, they used to play it in like, you know, we're going to play the, the Super Bowl in, in, at the Orange Bowl in Miami and Pasadena. Right. <laughs> we're playing this at Vegas, man. Vegas is what everything's about. Fantasy football, everything betting. It, it, it's so, it's so appropriate that, you know, the home of the Raiders, the home of, of, of violence, the home of, of gambling. Built by Bugsy Siegel. <laughs> yes. So it's almost like, of course, what are we doing here? You know, this is the, uh, everyone realizes that the ascension of, of football as America's sport went hand in hand with the, uh, with the incredible amount of money that not just from commercials for to to Tostitos chips, but for the betting, the betting that is, that is off the charts on every single aspect. And of course, as you say, Bugsy Siegel and the other members of Cosa Nostra who are, who benefit from every single bet that's, that's placed because it's all, as we know, run by, uh, you know, by our, by our friends in, in organized crime. So this is really, it's quite a, as much as you want to dress it up, as much as you want to have the F-15s fly over, having the rose petals drop from the fuselage, we know what this is about. This is about, and again, don't bet against Mahomes. That's all I can say. If you're out there, if you're, I, I believe Mahomes pulls it out just like he did a couple of years ago, right? I think they, they, they played there. Mahomes is going to pull it out. Uh, that's, yeah, take that to the bank, my friends. We'll see you. Take care, everybody. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.